You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. How many of you like food? Oh, only part of you? How many of you like to eat? How many? I knew somebody uh, who only ate, and I'm, I'm, this is really true, he didn't really enjoy eating. He only ate to stay alive. And that was just his attitude. For some reason, I've never met anybody else like that. The only person I've ever met in my life who only ate because he just needed to stay alive. Uh, but for me, I love food, right? I really, really enjoy food. And I'm sure that most of you or many of you do. So I want you just to turn to somebody right now and tell them what is your favorite food to eat. It could be a nationality or it could be a plate, okay? So, so for, for example, uh, my favorite food to eat is prime rib, all right? So that, that would be my favorite food to eat. Uh, my favorite ice cream is uh, cookies and cream, all right? So you could share something like that. So just turn to somebody right now and share your favorite food. Very good. Now that, um, of course, now that we're not having lunch today, and you probably got a little hungry thinking about food, um, my hope is that you might um, sort of salivate spiritually through this message as we talk about food. Um, I enjoy good food. Um, I like prime rib. I like crab. Um, I enjoy Chinese food. Um, I like Indian food. I like it when I go on a cruise and I can eat all the food that I want. I can order multiple appetizers. I can order multiple desserts. I can order as many lobster tails as they have on the night they serve seafood. That's really, really good. And I'm sure that all of you find, maybe in Las Vegas or maybe on a cruise or maybe even with your family, there are times where you can have as much food as you want to eat. Maybe you're going to a Super Bowl party today and there's going to be just lots of junk food and you're going to enjoy that. But I want to ask you this, if you even had the very best food that you could ever imagine and eat it every day, would you be satisfied? Would you really find meaning in life in having the very best of food? What drink do you enjoy the most? What really satisfies you, water? What really makes you, when you're really, really worked out really hard and you, and you really want something to, to quench your thirst, what would it be? And let's say that you could have anything you wanted to eat and drink at any time, any day, all the time. Would that be enough for life? It's interesting that Jesus tells us to pray for food. He tells us that we ought to pray and ask God to give us our daily food, our daily bread. But I believe that Jesus is thinking more than just giving us prime rib, even if that's good, giving us more than the best water, artesian water we could ever taste. I believe that there's something more that God wants 
behind the very thing that we ask for. There's something behind the meaning that Jesus says. It's not just so that we get our stomachs filled. It's not just so that our quenches thirst. There's something more. And I believe that that's what Jesus wants us to learn as we say our Lord's Prayer, or what we call the Lord's Prayer. Well, let's say it together. Would you stand with me? And let's say this out loud. Again, it's very familiar to us, but as we're going through the Lord's Prayer during this month, I want us to continue to think about what is it? What is it that Jesus is saying behind the very words that we say? Because we don't want to just say the words um, out of memory. We don't want to say them just as a habit or as a ritual. We want to say them with faith and with hope and with love. Let's begin. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, right after this prayer, Jesus gives some instruction. And we want to say this as well. Let's read this. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Please be seated. Today we want to talk about what is it that we really, really need. What is it that God really, really wants us to understand about the Lord's Prayer? And so when we said this prayer, we see that we are asking God for two big things in verses 11 and verse 12. And if you have your Bibles or your phones, you can open up there. And it's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. And Jesus tells us there's two things he wants us to ask God for. And the first one is in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. And the second is found in verse 12 when he says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then when we go down to verses 14 and 15, we see Jesus expounds upon what forgiveness means. And so today, this is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about what is Jesus teaching us about what we really, really need, about our physical lives represented in the bread, and about our spirit lives, our soul lives, our heart lives, as represented in asking God for a relationship with him that begins with forgiveness. So the first thing that we want to look at is what do we really, really need? And I believe that beyond and behind and beneath the request for daily bread is Jesus is telling us, what I really want is I want you to be dependent upon me. I want you to have a dependence upon me that builds our relationship. Now, for those of us who fill out taxes, and especially parents, we have dependents. And that's a good thing. Dependents are children. And when you have a dependent in your family and a child, the government recognizes that and they give you a tax break. A dependent is a good thing. It means literally a person who relies on someone else. And I believe that this is what Jesus wants us to know, that he enjoys taking care of us. He enjoys blessing us. But he wants us to know that everything, everything comes from our Father's hands. That would give us a greater sense of satisfaction. It's like 
when I got married, Carol and I were learning how to cook. We didn't know how to cook, right? But when we got married, each of us would take turns to cook. And when we cooked something, it would be really, really simple, usually like a Campbell's soup recipe. But we thought it was like the best thing we ever ate. Why? Not because it was the best thing we ever ate, but because the other person made it for us. It was because the other person made us something in love. And that's what made it taste so good. It was that somebody put thought into it. They cared about us. God cares about us. And when he gives us food, and we are to ask him for our daily bread, he wants us to remember that he's giving it to us out of deep and utter love. But he also wants us to know that he gives it to us so that we would grow in our dependence upon him. And when we know that he's taking care of us, we appreciate him. We thank him. We're grateful to him. In the Old Testament, King David really, really, really wanted to build the temple of God. This was something that he longed to do. He had all the money in the world to do it. But God said, no, David, you don't get to build the temple of God. And though he was disappointed that he couldn't build the temple of God, he was still excited that he could be part of it. And so his, his son, King Solomon, was the one who was going to build the temple of God. But in the process, David got all the people together, and David gave oodles of money, probably what we would amount to a billions of dollars of money, to, millions of dollars, to help build this temple. And David was so excited about it, and when he gave all of that, and the people saw all the money and all the gold and all the provisions that David was going to give for the temple, the people gave as well, and the people were so excited about it. But when David got all the people together, he said these words about himself and about the people, about the things that they were able to give. Let's read this together. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. What David is saying is what's so true for us is that he was absolutely, totally dependent upon God. And that everything that David gave, everything that the people gave, everything that the leaders gave, was something that God himself had already given to them. They didn't deserve it. They didn't earn it. And in this, David experienced a great deal of love and a great deal of commitment to God because he knew that everything came from the Father's hand. He had a dependent spirit. And Jesus wants us to ask for daily bread. Now, he knows he's going to give it. Well, the question would be that if Jesus knew that if we ask God for daily bread, God would give it, then why would we even have to ask at all? Why do we want to ask God for something that God already knows that we're going to ask for? Why do we want to even ask God for something that God already knows he wants to give to us? Why would that be? Well, I think it would be so that God would actually teach us something that really is important that we want children to know that we want our friends to know, and that is don't just ask me for stuff because you want to get something from me, but rather I hope that you will ask me for stuff because you will have a relationship with me and you will appreciate what we can share together. Oswald Chambers says this about the Lord's Prayer. Prayer is not getting things from God. That is the most initial stage. Prayer is getting into perfect communion with God 
I tell him what I know he knows in order that I may get to know it as he does. Let me read that last sentence again because that's really key. I tell God, I tell him what I know he knows. So he already knows it. I tell him what I know he knows in order that I may get to know it as he does. In others, that I may get to know what's behind the request, even as God knows what's behind the request. That I would get to have the attitude that God wants me to have. That I would have this dependent spirit that isn't one that isn't expecting to receive. It's one that's expecting to receive, but it's looking at things the way the Father wants us to look at it. And so the first thing that Jesus wants us to know is that those of us who have a dependent spirit are those of us that will focus upon what we only need. Not everything that we want, but our absolute necessities. And so Jesus had taught us to say, give us this day, day, today, 24 hours, give us this day, our daily bread. The word daily is used in the Bible, this word, only one time, and this is it. And this word daily means subsistence. It also means needful. And it's the only time that they have it that we find it in the New Testament. And so scholars, usually the way that they try to understand the meaning of a word is they'll find it in other places in the Bible and they can compare the context of it and know the meaning of it but in this case there was no other word for them to compare to well archaeologists found something they found some words that were written on a little scrap of parchment and it was the word daily the same word and you know what it was on it was on a to-do list it was on a shopping list and so what this person did when they wrote on this parchment was say, this is what I need today. It's just like us with our to-do list. We go out and say, oh, I, you know, I go shopping and we'll forget, right? So we write it down. I need to get the milk. I need to get the eggs. I, I need to get some detergent. And so you write it down. And so somebody had written down, this is my daily list. This is what I need today. Now remember, they didn't have refrigerators back then. They didn't have electricity back then. They didn't have pantries back then. They had to go to the market daily. They were dependent upon a daily sustenance. And Jesus wants us to focus just simply on those necessities, that sustenance that we have. We start there and we focus upon it. And we see that God cares about our daily needs. He cares about breakfast. He cares about lunch. He cares about dinner. Now he's going to take care of us. But that doesn't mean that we don't act responsibly. We still do. God wants us to work responsibly with him. Later on, we're going to study this in a, about a month, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 26, 25 to 34. We have the story that's pretty familiar to many of us about Jesus talking about the lilies of the field, and, and they don't labor, and they don't spin, they don't work hard, they don't sweat, they don't worry. God causes them to grow. God takes care of the birds. He feeds them. And Jesus is teaching us in them in Matthew chapter 6 later on that God is also going to take care of us. But that doesn't mean that we don't work. He's saying don't worry. He's not saying don't work. So we still work. We still have jobs. 
but we are working for our daily needs. We will still plow, as they would do in that day. They would still sow, they would still water, and they would still have to go out and harvest. That was their work. They still had to do it, but they were not to worry. God doesn't want us to worry. And as we realize that God takes care of our daily needs, it teaches us in a broader way that we don't need to worry about other things in our life. It's teaching us trust as we are learning to be fully dependent upon our Heavenly Father. And I think the last thing, though there are many things, but the last thing for us today to think about is that Jesus says, give us our daily bread. And in our dependence, it is a mutual dependence that we have. The Lord knows what we need. He knows everything about what our daily requirements are, but he wants us to share them with others. He wants us to be concerned about the needs of others as much as we are concerned about our own needs. It is a community. It is a mutuality. It is a sharing that we give. When we share, there is an appreciation. There is a love. There is a relationship. I think it's so neat that when we have our um, Thursday night home, um, the homeless ministry, the winter shelter program, that a lot of times the workers, you know, first we have the, the people, the guests eat, but then the workers will come and get their food and sit with the guests. And I think that's such an important part of what we do because we are sharing. We need food just like them. They need food just like us. And we share it together. It's always more fun to eat with other people too. And so God wants us to care for others as much as we care for ourselves. And so this is a dependent spirit that we all have. We are all dependent upon God. Now this is the first big thing that Jesus wants us. But there's something else that is so big that Jesus wants us to ask for. He wants us to ask for forgiveness. He wants us to not only have a dependent spirit, he wants us to have a forgiving spirit. In verse 12, the first part, Jesus says, I want you to ask for this. I want you to ask your heavenly father to forgive you, to forgive you, to forgive your debts. It's so important to Jesus. He wants us to ask God for forgiveness every day. He also wants us to ask God for forgiveness for others every day as we forgive our debtors. Now imagine, imagine that if Jesus or God were to give us a test and he says, okay, you've read the Bible, I want you to close the Bible right now and I want to give you a test on forgiveness. What do you think Jesus would do? He goes, okay, you know what's in the Bible, you know what it says, you know what it teaches, so, so this is the test. Um, what does it really mean to be forgiving? What does it really mean to be forgiven? Well, one thing I know we wouldn't say is, we wouldn't say, well, you know, if, if you are forgiven, then you will forgive God. Right? If you're forgiven, you'll forgive God. Now, that's very human, right? So parents have two children. They get into a fight. Both of them have some wrong. The parents, they say, I'm sorry. And the kid looks at the other kid, and mom says, say you're sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. And then you look at the other kid, and you go, well, you say you're sorry. Oh, 
I'm sorry. Now, let's say that they really meant it. Say, I'm really, really sorry. And the other parent goes, yeah, you know what? I'm really, really sorry too. And they hug and they truly forgive and they go off their way and the relationship is stronger. Well, that would never happen with God. So God would never say to us, well, if you really understand forgiveness, then you will forgive me. Um, God would also not say, well, you know, if you really know forgiveness, you'll give me money, right? So if you know you're really forgiven, now there, there is in church history um, things that have been taught where people could buy forgiveness, but that is not in the Bible. And we would never see Jesus saying, well, if you know you're not really forgiven, then you'll give more money to the church. Um, neither would Jesus say, or God, you know, if you're really forgiven, then you'll memorize all the verses in the Bible about forgiveness. We wouldn't see Jesus say, well, if you know you're really forgiven, then you'll go to church every week. Nor would Jesus say, if you're really, really forgiven, then you'll pray every day. Nor would Jesus say, if you're really, really forgiven, then you'll give more to other people all the time. What does Jesus say? Well, it's really simple. He says, forgive your debtors. He does say, this is what forgiveness is if you truly understand it. If you are forgiven by God, then you will forgive everyone who hurts you. You will forgive others. You will forgive those who have trespassed against you. You will confess your sins and you will recognize your debts but you will also forgive those who are debtors to you think about debt how many of you are in debt raise your hand how many of you are in debt most of it is adults right why because our children are the dependents right we take care of them okay but but all of us someday will be in debt, okay, at some point. Yay, you know, all of us will be in debt at some point of time. Debt is a reality, okay? Financial debt is a reality. Um, so God, um, God wants us to know that debt is just something we can't get away from in this world. Um, I was in New York a number of years ago. This, I didn't take this picture. This picture was probably taken uh, a number of months ago, maybe a year or two ago. Uh, it says our debt, national debt, if you read it there, is uh, $21 trillion. Okay, that's our national debt. And so there is this sign in New York called the National Debt Clock. And don't go there now. Please don't go there now. But if you go to nationaldebtclock.com or .org, you can actually see the debt clock just going like this and i took a picture of it um so that's a screenshot of it on friday and so you can see on friday our national debt was 23 trillion dollars and if you go there it just looks like a spinning wheel okay if you go to this website it's just constantly spinning and it says how much money our nation is spending beyond what it makes and we're in debt 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 Somebody's going to have to pay. Well, it's not good news. But you know what's even worse than that? Is there is a clock that's spinning so fast you can't even read it. And that is the debt of sin. And that debt clock is moving faster than the speed of light. It is moving, it is moving, it is moving, it is moving. And you and I are, are part of it. We are part of the debt to God. 
for our sins. And so the first thing that Jesus wants us to do about our debt is to confess them and to be forgiven and to know that God cares about us and that he will forgive us. But the second thing he wants us to do is to cover the debts of others and to give God's grace. When we confess, we receive God's grace. We are forgiven of our debts. But God then says, you are forgiven so, so much that I want you to forgive others as well. And so when we read this, we have to read it carefully because it simply says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, if we read it wrongly, we read it as an issue of works. In other words, if we read it wrongly, we place the emphasis on the forgive us our debtors part. In other words, we think that we will be forgiven by God if we forgive our debtors. That is not what is teaching. It is rather a plea of grace and not a plea of merit. We are not praying this prayer because we deserve, there's merit in our actions of forgiving other people and therefore God forgives us. But rather, the forgiveness of God is so great that it just naturally flows that the person would say, Lord, please forgive me. I'm so grateful for your forgiveness. And so please forgive me even as I know I'm going to be forgiving other people. It means so much to me that you have forgiven me that I will just want to go and forgive other people Lord give me that kind of prayer give me that kind of attitude and Jesus knows that this is not an easy thing for us and so he continues to teach on it and it's interesting that after the Lord's prayer these are his first words these are his words to us that he wants us to forgive men Can you move it for me? I'm not sure the, the clicker is not working. Thank you. And so we read this in Matthew 6, 14, 11. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Again, if we read this wrongly, we read it as an issue of works that we have to forgive men so that our Heavenly Father will forgive us. But that's not what it teaches. Jesus is teaching us an order of forgiveness. He's teaching us how forgiveness works. And the very first thing that we want to see is that forgiveness is totally, absolutely a grace gift of God. God forgives. So that's why we start off by saying, and forgive us our debts. God forgives. And He does it when our hearts are truly repentant. And he forgives us. But the next thing that happens, we are changed. And now we being forgiven become forgiving people. Forgiveness is forgiving. Or simply said, forgiving is forgiving. God gives to us forgiveness that we might give it to others. So much so is that the reality in our lives that Jesus is saying that if we don't forgive other people, 
then we show that we are not forgiven. Turn with me a, a number of chapters forward to Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to be referring to Matthew chapter 18, verses 26 to 35. But I'm going to tell you the story about it as you're turning there. And so Jesus tells a story of a man who came to a king. He came to a rich man, and he owed him a lot of money. It says that he owed him a debt that would, we would say equals a million dollars. And so he came to this king, and he said, I don't have the money. Please don't throw me in jail. Please forgive this debt. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Please have mercy on me. And the king in his mercy, said, I forgive your debt. I do. I genuinely forgive you of all that you have done, that have occurred this great debt of money, and now you don't owe it to me at all. And the man got up, and he was so relieved. And he walked out. He walked out, and he saw somebody who owed him a few dollars. Now, he had just been forgiven of millions. But he saw somebody who owed him a few dollars. And he said, pay me back. And the guy goes, oh, oh, please forgive me. I bet I don't have the money right now, but I'll pay you back. Just give me some time. Pay me now. No, 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 I don't have the money. I promise I'll pay you back. Don't hurt me. No, pay me now. I'll put you in jail. No, don't do that. I have a wife and kids. Pay me now. I can't. So he calls the police. And he's put in jail. And then others saw what had happened. They had also observed what had happened, how the master had forgiven this man of a million dollars. And then they saw how this man, forgiven of so much, wouldn't forgive somebody of so little. And so then we read in verse 32 of Matthew chapter 18. Then the master called the servant in and said, You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Jesus expects forgiven people to be forgiving. And we are to forgive from our hearts because of all that God has forgiven us. I want you to think, is there somebody in your life you have a hard time forgiving? And they've genuinely done something wrong. For the rest of this sermon, we're going to be talking about that person in your life. Think about anybody, if, and I hope maybe there's some people here who think, you know what, I'm cool right now. There's nobody. But just remember this lesson in case, and when the time comes, you need to forgive somebody who really, really hurts you. But if you think of somebody right now who's really genuinely hurt you, they've genuinely done wrong, God wants you to forgive them. What will happen if you do? Because you're forgiven. What will happen if you do what Jesus says, forgive from your heart? We become like him. Just think about this. Wouldn't you agree? that we are never more like Jesus than we forgive somebody else. Wouldn't you agree with that? We are never more like our Savior than we forgive somebody else. Isn't that why he came? To die on the cross and to forgive us.
Colossians 3.13 simply says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And when we forgive as the Lord forgave us, we become like him. Never, never are we earning our forgiveness. Jesus is not teaching that. The Bible does not teach that. It would be a contradiction of truth if that's what he meant. But he is saying that by forgiving other people, we have seen the greatness and the grace of God so that we will forgive as we move forward in our faith. Notice that Jesus says, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts as, not because we forgive our debtors. Forgive us as we forgive our debtors. In other words, it's a continual progress of our lives. But how do I do it? How do I really forgive this person who's hurt me so badly? Well, we apply the Lord's Prayer and we pray for them. We pray and we ask God to help us to forgive them even as he's forgiven us. First words on the cross, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Lord, give me the same type of love that Jesus has to forgive even as he forgave on the cross. When it's really, really hard, I've been there, many of you have been there, someone's done something to you they shouldn't have done. It hurt deeply, it cut, it bled in your soul, if not on your body. But God still wants us to forgive them. In a wonderful book, David Augsburger says this, Father, forgive them. That's forgiveness. Unasked, undeserved, yet freely given. To think that we needn't forgive until we are asked is a myth to be punctured. In other words, we don't wait to forgive people. We forgive even like Jesus did, even before they ask for forgiveness. I always remember a friend that I hurt deeply, and I didn't realize how deeply I had hurt her. And um, probably a year went by before I finally realized what had happened. And I realized what had happened because somebody else hurt me in the same way. And I had a hard time forgiving that other person. But when I realized how badly I felt because of what somebody else had done to me, I realized what I had done to this friend. And so I went back to this friend and I said, I now realize what I did to you about a year ago. I am so, so sorry. Will you forgive me? And I'll never forget her words. She said, I've already forgiven you. I've already and that's what Jesus wants us to be. We don't wait until the person says, I'm sorry. We forgive them even before they do. David Augsburger, in his book, goes on and says this. No one is too low to be an object of God's love. No one, however evil, is excluded from the forgiveness of God, except as they exclude themselves by their own unrepentance. No one can be considered worthless when Christ, God himself, died for them. No one is unlovable if God loves them. Then God can love them through me. By forgiving other people, by praying for them, not only do we become like Jesus, we have the love that Jesus has. Is it easy? No. But we continue to try to work through it. 
What else do we do? We show mercy to them and we leave the justice to God. We don't hold grudges. Yes, they are guilty. Yes, they do need to reconcile with God and hopefully with us. But it's hard. And a lot of times the people who hurt us the most deeply don't even realize it or don't even care. And we think, I can't forgive them. That just lets them off the hook. Neil Anderson, in, in his book, Victory Over the Darkness, says this. You mean I'm just supposed to let them off the hook? You may argue. Yes, you let them off your hook, realizing that God does not let them off his hook. You may feel like exacting justice, but you are not an impartial judge. God is the just judge who will make everything right. Your job is to extend the mercy of forgiveness and leave justice in the matter up to God. God will make all things just. God wants to forgive them. And when God forgives them, we will experience the same type of reconciliation with them as they reconcile with us. But if they never reconcile with us, if they never seek forgiveness from us or God, God will take care of it. That's where we let them off our hook. We leave them into the justice of God. He will take care of it. He will continue to call them to repentance, but if they don't, God will bring justice. Show mercy. Pray for them. And lastly, if we continue to struggle at this and, and to build the strength of being a forgiving people is look at Jesus continually. Look at Jesus meditating on his grace to you. This is our theme for 2020, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And no greater way of fixing our eyes on Jesus is to see him forgiving us. And how he forgives us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this. If we really know Christ as our Savior, our hearts are broken. And we cannot refuse forgiveness. Forgive me, O oh God, as I forgive others because of what you have done for me. Forgive me as I forgive them because of what the cross of the Lord Jesus has done in my heart. As we look at the cross of Jesus, as we look at Jesus, we look at the price of forgiveness. We continue to meditate upon him. We fix our eyes on him and we see how he forgives. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7 as we close. There was a woman... A woman, the Bible says, who lived a life of sin, meaning that she was an adulteress, a prostitute. She was known in the community. And she crashed a party that was given by a Pharisee named Simon. And Simon was giving this party and I guess just trying to look big, having the famous rabbi in his home. And this woman crashes the party and comes in and she brings this alabaster jar full of expensive perfume and she pours it on Jesus. She cries over Jesus. Simon had not washed Jesus' feet as was the custom. Simon had not welcomed Jesus 
into his home with a heart of love and compassion. But this woman brought that with her as she came into the house, broken for her sin, needing forgiveness, desperate to be forgiven. And then in verse 44 of Luke chapter 7, we read the words of Jesus, and he says this. Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my tears, she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. You've been asked to think about the person who's hurt you the most. Now I want to ask you a harder question. Where have you hurt God the most? What sin in your life can you think of that you wish you never, never did? What's the worst thing in your life you've ever, ever done? Is there a place that you even still feel guilt for that? God wants to remove the guilt. He wants to take away the feelings of shame and sorrow and pain. And he invites us into his presence like this woman. That we might be in relationship with him. Some of us cry easily. Some of us have a hard time crying. But it's not just the tears that prove our brokenness. It's our heart. And we can bring that pain. And we can bring that guilt. And we can bring that memory. And we can bring that sin before Jesus. And kneel before him. At his feet. And say, Jesus, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? And he will. He will. This is the means by which we learn forgiveness is by remembering he's forgiven even our deepest, worst sins. And being forgiven, we can move forward knowing there is no more guilt. There is no condemnation. There is no more shame. We can go and leave forgiven and rejoicing and happy and glad. And we can go out and share that same with others. Let us pray.